studio. This meeting is being recorded. Good at, good morning, everybody. That double notice that the meeting is being recorded never gets old. You are watching another edition of Forward Maryland. My name is Bill Woodcock. And I'm Steve Hunt. Happy Saturday, everybody. And we are honored this morning to uh, bring to you our next in our uh, slate of governor's candidates who, uh, for governor of Maryland, of course, who are um, willing to uh, share with us their vision for the state of Maryland. And so today we welcome to the podcast Democratic candidate, former Anne Arundel County Executive, Laura Newman. Laura, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me here. I'm thrilled to be with you today. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, pleasure to have you here. And and so um, I want to ask you first, um, seeing as you just got in the race and um, you've had a, had a, a history in, in, in politics, especially in central Maryland, uh, but a lot of people might not be familiar with you. If you could tell folks in viewer and listener land a little bit about yourself and the big picture of why you're running for governor. Well, I'd be happy to, thank you. You know, I am truly a Maryland story. I was born, raised and educated in Maryland. And the truth is I lived the very best and the very worst of what Maryland has to offer. I had the honor of serving as a county executive uh, in Anne Arundel. I ran economic development in Howard County, both extraordinary opportunities, but you know, that's not really where I started in Maryland. Um, my life in Maryland started in inner city Baltimore and rather challenging circumstances. Both of my parents were high school dropouts. Uh, they both have arrest records. And truthfully, they both really struggled. And so that was, with a start like that, it's uh, not easy to get, um, get your footing in life. And for me, it was a struggle in the early days. I ended up dropping out of high school too. I attended six different schools before dropping out. I also started in Baltimore City Public Schools, and there were a lot of challenges over the years. And the truth is I never checked the right boxes for the path to opportunity. And so I had to make my own path to opportunity. I ended up becoming a tech entrepreneur and getting a master's degree in business without finishing high school or college. So I've lived both sides of Maryland. And I think that combination of experience is very important in our next governor. Well, Laura, tell us about the, um... Tell us about a little bit about the strategy of your race, because I, I appreciate what you say about your experience. You definitely have a, a strong background, and it would seem to me that that would identify quite well with uh, what I call the Hogan Democrats, the, the folks in, in Anne Arundel, uh, even Howard, Baltimore counties, uh, who may have voted for Larry Hogan once or twice, but they're still Democrats. Um, how do you see your path to the governor's mansion? Do you see it as through those Hogan Democrats or, or some other way? Without giving up too many secrets, tell us how you see getting to the governor's mansion. Well, I think that's such a great question. You know, it doesn't take long to, to research me and figure out that I've been a Democrat and a Republican as well as an independent or unaffiliated. You know, I was raised a Democrat. Uh, I served in office as a Republican. Uh, I then became unaffiliated or independent, and uh, I had already made the decision to move back to the Democratic Party, but the truth is what I believe has not changed along the way. I believe in managing the budget and being fiscally responsible, but I also believe uh, that, you know, maybe the government shouldn't, not maybe, definitely, the government shouldn't have a role in some of our personal decisions. So, for example, I believe you should be able to love who you love and marry who you love. 
And at the end of the day, I believe women should have final say over their bodies. I've been very public about having been raped at 18. Uh, it took almost two decades for the police to investigate my case because they told me they didn't believe me. So of course they never investigated my case. If a pregnancy had come out of that experience, I would have wanted to have the final say in whether or not to carry that pregnancy. And so, you know, those issues are really personally important to me, you know, as you, you might know, but my case was eventually solved uh, two decades later after it was solved in three days once it was finally investigated. But the truth is, you know, having dealt with some of these things in a very personal way, I feel strongly that we should be able to ultimately make those decisions for ourselves. And those policies, what we call progressive policies, more aligned with the Democratic Party than the Republican. And, you know, while we're talking about, you know, I wouldn't compare my track record to Governor Hogan's track record because we have different life journeys. But um, at the end of the day, I think most of us really are somewhere in the middle. We believe that there should be a balance in policy and budget. And that's where I where I am. And uh, I believe that's where most Marylanders are. I thank you for that response and also for that personal insight. Um, on another note, before I pass it over to Steve. Um, it's it's fairly obvious to note that you are the only female Democratic candidate in the race for governor. And of 14 announced candidates for governor, you're one of only two female candidates for governor. You know, I can look at Rhode Island, Michigan, South Dakota as blue, purple, and red states that have recently elected female governors. What do you think it says about Maryland politics that, as you say, have always portrayed itself to be so progressive that there are only two female candidates for governor in 2022? And if you're elected governor, uh, what, what, what will you do to, to change that and open opportunities for women and others? Well, you know, it's interesting. I, I have always said, don't ever vote for me because I'm a woman. Vote for me because I'm one of the most qualified candidates. But the truth is that, you know, we have never had a female governor or a female comptroller or attorney general. We have no women in the delegation to Congress. Uh, I, you know, I, I think that's a shame because we have a lot of talent and we're not tapping into it. So in, in my situation, you know, I have both public and private sector experience. I built a company in the private sector. I know what it's like to make payroll. In fact, I know what it's like to make payroll without having the money in the bank. You know, I've, it's been Thursday and the money's been due on Tuesday and I haven't had it in the bank and I've had to figure that out. Uh, so I know what those challenges look like in the private sector, but I've also held public office and, um, you know, I understand how politics gets done in Annapolis. So that combination of experience, I think, uniquely positions me to, you know, be in this executive role for our state. But uh, we can't ignore the history of not electing qualified women to top offices, top positions. Thank you. Steve, I see you busily scribbling notes. <laughs> uh oh. Hands down, Steve. It's your turn. Should I be worried now? <laughs> no, 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 just, just, just some things. I just jot it down, pens down, mute off. Uh, thank you again, Laura, for joining us this morning. We really appreciate it. Um, you know, it, it's funny, you, you know, a couple of things you've said tapped to my first question, and that's, you know, about the economy and jobs, especially as we hopefully will be going from pandemic to, you know, endemic with respect to COVID. Um, you know, you, you did talk about your unique background, and, and I do believe it is unique from a public and private experience. You know, Maryland, you know, for, for, a number of years, you know, has has not had the best reputation in terms of being business friendly. Uh, in fact, full disclosure to my, you know, our uh, listeners or watchers, 
I work for one of the few large businesses in the IT sector that calls Maryland home in terms of its headquarters. Um, you know, I've worked for other companies in the past. I've had to schlep around 495 Beltway over to Virginia. And so, my question to you is this, you know, drawing upon your experience as a chief executive and, and certainly, and again, you know, for the, the fo folks, just so you guys know, I first met Lori years ago when she was head of the Howard County Economic Development Authority uh, for our, many of our listeners being from Howard County. And your job literally was to sell Howard County to the business community, you know, encourage businesses to come into the county, working with county government to put in place policies that make Howard County a place where businesses want to work. Drawing on all of that, what would you do as governor to improve that environment so that businesses don't immediately look across the river to Virginia? Uh, they look to the state of Maryland as a place to put their headquarters in place uh, set up major sites, hire people, create jobs, et cetera? Well, you know, this is one of the most, uh, probably the biggest surprises I found out going into government is there's a massive disconnect between the private sector and government elected officials. And, you know, I spent a lot of time in office explaining to people in government the risk that is inherent in building a business, launching a business and building a business. So we always hear the success stories. We always hear about the successful businesses. And there's so much focus on that, but there's a tremendous amount of risk that goes into building a business. And if there's one thing we could do well in Maryland, it would be to understand that risk and to make it easy to do business here. I cannot tell you the number of meetings I've been in where the person on the other side of the table has said, okay, all right, I understand the tax structure, just make it easier to do business here. And uh, I'll give you a great example from Howard County when I was working there. You know, I did launch the Maryland Center for Entrepreneurship in Howard County, I was really, um, pleased with the outcome with that. That was a huge initiative, very successful. It's still going today. And in fact, it's bigger and better than ever. But when I wanted to bring a business to Howard County, I went to my staff and said at the time and said, hey, you know, this business is looking at our community. They're looking at our state and our county. They're also looking at five other states. So let's make it easy for them when they come to visit. So I identified the criteria that was important to this particular new business. And I went back to my team and said, which, you know, was a new team for me. And I said, let's identify all the properties in our community that align with their criteria and their priorities. The response I got was, that's not our job. And the truth is, it is our, it is our job. Not only is it our job to understand how we can respond to that business, but I took it a step beyond that. And when I found out that this potential business didn't have the right match in Howard County, and they thought they had it in neighboring Anne Arundel, I said, I'll have a list of all the Anne Arundel properties on your desk by 12 o'clock tomorrow that match your criteria. And you know what? They ended up staying in Howard because we were responsive, because we were trying to be helpful, because we made it easy to do business in the community. That's what we need to do. We need to hear businesses and what they need. We need to respond to them. And we need to also align not only those kinds of uh, issues like location, but also workers and the skills that they bring to these job opportunities. Thank you for that. Um, and, and kind of a follow up because I, I kind of I threw it in there as an aside, but it certainly should not be an aside. And that is COVID. Um, you know, obviously, things are getting much better now. Uh, you know, we're certainly much better equipped to fight this thing than we were, you know, two years ago. Um, but obviously, it's not over. And, and, and again, if it becomes more of an endemic, it may not be over for a, a while. I think um, that could be the case. But 
anyway, uh, you know, obviously, again, you know, drawing upon your experiences and, and having to live it day to day from a, a business perspective, et cetera. Uh, what what would you what would your thoughts be on how the state of Maryland has responded to the pandemic? And, you know, as governor, are there things that you look back on that the, the current administration has done and, and you would say, yeah, I wouldn't do that again? <laughs> well, I'm not I, I'm not going to, you know, Monday, 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 what is it saying for the sports folks amongst us? Monday morning quarterback, the game from yesterday. <laughs> um, but I will say a couple of things. One is um, my heart goes out to every family in Maryland who's lost someone to COVID. I mean, it is real. It is present. And we've all been affected by it in some way. I've tried to help families who have need, needed the right medical help, and uh, I've heard the stories across Maryland. It's real, it is present, and it is still happening. Since I launched this campaign, both of my children have been uh, through a bout of COVID. So, you know, they were first quarantined uh, because of close contact, and now they've each had COVID. You know, I, overall, I would have preferred a statewide position uh, on testing, on masking, uh, I do think that there's a lot of confusion in the local jurisdictions and, you know, I live on a county line, so I'm trying to remember where I am, which county I'm in and what their particular policy is. I think it was kind of kicking the can down the road to not really deal with it in a statewide, uh, at a statewide level. Uh, I would have preferred something a little more consistent. And I think for most of us, the biggest challenge has been the lack of good information. I mean, in the early days, I wanted testing, testing and testing. And the fact that testing wasn't available, I think was really, it was a shame for not just our community and our state, but our country. Uh, and secondly, would be consistency and in information. That's one thing I would have liked to see from the very beginning. And honestly, I still want to see today. Uh, I still don't see that happening. Great. Thank you. Um, uh, the other the other question I want to get into with you, Ms. Newman, is on the question of civil rights. And obviously, we are sitting here in the middle of, of Black History Month. And obviously, that, you know, uh, those questions come up as far as civil rights, civil liberties, and, and really looking at the past as a, a, a pretext of the future. So, um, you know, early in the campaign, obviously before your time getting in, uh, there was a, a call for many advocacy groups to come up with a, a plan, a, a blueprint, a roadmap to, to improve the civil rights and, and, and guarantee really civil rights and equal rights for, for all Marylanders. Uh, it was driven mostly by folks in the African-American community, but, but certainly it crosses all communities. And in, on your issues page, you talk about a lot of issues that touch civil rights. First of all, you specifically call out civil rights. But you know, you could look at education, you could look at the economy, you could look at the environment. Uh, you really could draw a line of civil rights to all those things. So obviously you weren't around when every, you know, when that call went out for a plan. But my question is, have you, you know, started developing a formal plan that could be presented? Um, and even if you haven't, have you reached out to those civil rights activists and leaders and had those conversations about what as governor you would do? Absolutely. Well, look, the truth is Black History Month is about learning the real history of our country. That's why it exists so that we can we can, you know, transition from the, you know, curated history to the real history of our country. And, and I'm glad those stories are being told. Uh, there are a couple key areas. Look, you know, I grew up in inner city Baltimore. And so I have a unique perspective because of that. Uh, I researched a book recently that I wrote and I have, I understand the history of redlining. I know how that happened. I know why it happened. And I understand also that it wasn't just this obscure thing that happened in government. It happened at the local level in Baltimore city. It happened at the state level in Maryland and it happened at the federal level uh, to force segregation in Baltimore city. 
And uh, I have to come from my unique perspective, which is Baltimore City. There are a couple key areas where we have failed in Baltimore City, which we can clearly talk about uh, regionally and statewide. They are, you know, education. We need to make sure that everyone has a good education. And the truth is, I got back into politics. I jumped back in because I was asked to go back to my childhood home to be interviewed for a documentary. And I met the boy who lives in that house. He's 11 and he's sitting on the step watching this interview. And I'm thinking, why is he not in school? And then I'm thinking about the education system and whether or not we've really provided everything we can for him to succeed. That is first and foremost. Secondly, we're going to look at this child somewhere down the road and say, why is he getting in trouble or why is you know, he involved in this or in that? And the truth is that his, criminal, his, his public safety outcome, which is tied to our criminal justice system, has not given him what he needs to succeed. And then the third is economic development. Who is seeing the potential in this child? Who is helping this child have a path to opportunity? And for someone like me who felt that no one saw my potential, boy, I feel really strongly about that. That's personal for me. And so those are the three key areas where we need to make sure that there's equal opportunity across our state and where we haven't done it historically. And I believe that if we pro provide a solid education system, if we make sure that we have criminal justice reform and we provide a path to opportunity for every Marylander, if we tap into the potential of every Marylander, we tap into the potential of our state. So those are the key areas that I'm focused on. And uh, my track record is very much about being transparent on these issues. Uh, I can give you a specific example in Anne Arundel County, a noose was found in a department. I was told not to talk about it. Every single person in the top of my administration said, don't talk about it. I held a press conference. Uh, I believe in transparency and accountability and putting it out there. And those aren't just words, the action backs it up. Well, th thank you, Lauren. And I will tell you, I had a, a fourth question, which was gonna be specific to Baltimore, because I feel like in this current administration, Baltimore has been very much left behind, but you know, with in your, in your background story and, and just what you talked about with civil rights, you touched on it. If there's anything else you want to add specific to what we do about revitalizing the city, uh, have at it, but you've, you've answered a lot of what I wanted to ask you about Baltimore. Well, I feel very strongly about Baltimore. I am the only candidate born and raised in Baltimore City. And uh, you know, for me, when I see those headlines on the news, I know where that street is. When, I, when there's another killing, which happens on a daily basis, I know where those streets are. I, I am familiar with those neighborhoods. And so it feels personal for me. Uh, and if one thing fundamentally needs to change uh, that I can have some control over, it would be you know, a real strong connection between the governor and uh, the leadership in Baltimore City. If Annapolis and Baltimore aren't talking to each other, Baltimore can't move forward and succeed. So I would like to see more progress there. And I'd also like to see some criminal justice reform as well. All right, thank, thank you very much for all of that. And I couldn't agree more. I mean, that's, it's, a, it's a great city. I mean, it's, there's so it much is. potential there. It's a beautiful um, city. And let's see it realize its potential. But let's start with that 11-year-old boy sitting on the steps in front of my childhood home in East Baltimore on Jefferson Street. We need to get down to that level before we can see real change. Absolutely. Uh, thank you very much, Bill. I'm going to turn it back over to you, sir. As a uh, Morrow Park boy, Laura, uh, I, I know Jefferson Street. So, uh, you do? You know Jefferson uh, Gateway to Mount Winans, of course, all the way over on the other side of town. But, you know, that, <laughs> that's like the country. So, uh, Laura, thank you for this interview. I mean, I, I have found your, your uh, and, and I too, uh, you know, uh, I'm familiar and, and remember you from your time at the HCEDA and, and all the uh, rubber chicken circuit fundraisers that 
you know, and, and cocktail parties that passed for fundraisers in Howard County. But uh, your interview has been, uh, I, I find, experiential and uh, practical and very devoid of, of buzzwords like, you know, common sense or, you know, like, like when is com- why is common sense a, a virtue? I mean, common sense should kind of be soon right. in, in, right. in a leader. So, so I really appreciate the perspective and, and the experience that you're bringing to this race. Tell people out there who also are, are uh, appreciating um, what they're hearing, how they can get in touch with you in your campaign, please. Well, thank you for that opportunity. Uh, LauraNewman.com, and it's Newman with you because there's a tendency to spell it uh, the Paul Newman way. Uh, on LauraNewman.com, you can find uh, my launch video that tells my personal story and uh, a little bit more about the campaign. And let me just say, it's just been an incredible experience to speak with people all over Maryland. I have you know, a, a real history in Howard County and love for Howard County, but man, it's been incredible to hear the stories across the state. So I look forward to hearing from you. Reach out, please. I'd love to hear what you have to say. And, and likewise, we are looking forward to, uh, to seeing much more of you over the next four months uh, and hopefully nine months uh, and through the next four years. So uh, please, uh, we're looking forward to, uh, to uh, monitoring the progress of your campaign. And, and hopefully you can come on again. And hopefully, you know, Steve and I are lobbying hard for that first ever podcast from the governor's mansion. So, so well, I'll try to make that happen for you. Where, where Reynolds Tavern works too, you know, you know, we'll be happy with just being in the vicinity. So Lauren, I love thank it. you very much today. Thank yeah, you for thank having you. me. Okay. And Steve, thank you again, as always. And we will be back online next week with another great edition of Forward Maryland. Have a great day and rest of your weekend, everybody. Take care. Thanks, gentlemen.